0: We're talking about spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, going deeper into Christ, into the gospel. And, uh, and, you know, one of the things I'm realizing as I get older is that I'm less and less concerned about what I do and what people remember me for what I've achieved. And I'm, I'm becoming more concerned about who I become. Does that resonate with anybody? Like I was so obsessed in my 20s to do and achieve and accomplish. Uh, I'm in my, you know, 40s now, and, and I'm, 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 I'm realizing that God's way more concerned about the kind of person that I become and not what I do. And the only thing that encourages me is the fact that God actually is more concerned about who I become than I am. God is way more concerned and cares a lot more about who I become than I am. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, check this out, for you are God's, does anybody know workmanship, right? And the word workmanship is the Greek word poema, from which you get the word poem, So literally what the Bible says that you and I are God's workmanship, God's poem, God's masterpiece. I'll tell you why that's encouraging in two ways. Number one, you are, check this out, God's masterpiece. Your life is not your masterpiece. Your life is God's masterpiece. You are not your handiwork. You are God's handiwork. It's not up to you to make something of you. God says, that's my job. You are God's workmanship. You are my handiwork. OK, secondly, I love it. God says you are God's masterpiece, not God's appliance. If there was a Greek word appliance, why? Appliances are what? Mass produced masterpieces are handcrafted. He makes you individually, crafts you individually, unique gifts, unique talents, unique abilities. Do you know what else it means? that means that god's plan to grow you to change you what we're talking about is also what unique do you realize that you know what we do when we come to spiritual growth we compare ourselves to other people we go oh he is really spiritually mature what is he doing i want to do that so i can grow and it doesn't work remember we talked about this How many of us, how many of us, honestly, have heard that somebody got up at four o'clock in the morning and they prayed and we're like, oh, spiritual, I want to be, how many of us, right? And so what do we do? We try, I got to get up early in the morning. And and this is the last time I'll talk about this. We we get up at four in the morning, okay, and nobody wants to be around us. Even, even Jesus. Even Jesus doesn't want to be around us, right? Because we're cranky, we're miserable, right? Right? But we do that. You know what else? How many of us, I thought, man, spiritually deep growth, I got a journal. Two days is all, two days. Two days is as long as I would go to journal because I'm not a journaler. And if you're not a journaler, be encouraged because I don't think Jesus journaled either. Okay? And yeah, he grew. Do you see what I'm saying? Hey, look, comparison kills spiritual growth. Who are you comparing yourself to going, I want to be like that, That spiritually, you know, that spiritual maturity. And so if I, God's saying, you are my masterpiece, handcrafted. I don't want you to become like him or her. I've got my own plan specifically for you. Utilizing your temperaments, your gifts, your abilities. So don't compare. Encouragement. Moms. How many moms are like, oh, if I could just spend one hour in the morning in quiet time, I wish I can grow. Why? Because that's what I heard some pastors say. The problem is that pastor is probably neglecting his family in the morning so he could be with God. Where you are spending your time with your children. Loving them, exemplifying the love of Christ in patience, in kindness. And God says that counts. Some of you, you're raging extroverts, and you think being spiritual means that will never happen. That's not God's plan for you. You're a raging extrovert. You're going, if I could just be alone and learn to pray and just be quiet, and like within five minutes, you're... People, you know what God says? God says, hey, you're a raging extrovert. I made you a raging extrovert. And guess how I use you? Guess how I grow you? When you pour yourself to other people. When you give yourself to other people. You see what I'm saying? God, you are God's masterpiece. God has his unique plans to grow you. Don't compare yourself to other people. As we talk about spiritual maturity, the primary goal of spiritual of spiritual life is human transformation. God wants to make sure that spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, going deep, is not about how much Bible you know, where you're going to go after you die, how you have more inner peace. God says the spiritual maturity about transformation of you, okay? And here's where God wants to take you. Paul says, and we're eventually getting there, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what God wants you to become. Here's the kind of person, not the things you do, kind of person that he wants to create in you. Someone who is characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What, are these? what do these mean? We, again, simple definitions, and we're going to move on because we're going to come back to these. Love. Love is someone who serves the needs of other people for their sake, not yours. How many of you would like to do that more? I'm looking at some of you going, raise your hand. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> How many of you guys would like to serve needs? OK. needs? Secondly, joy. To delight in God for who he is in himself and not for what he gives you. Joy? Anybody joy? You know, I, I can't wait to talk about this because, you know, some of us who grew up in church, we, 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 we correlate lack of joy with holy. So the holier you are, the less joyful you are. Anybody? Anybody? Like this? So church services weren't supposed to be joyful because they were supposed to be holy. Anybody? Anybody? So do you want to go to heaven? No, not if it's, not if it's like church. <laughs> Anybody? Check this out. Check this out. One characteristic attribute about God that you must know if you want to get to know him, he is the happiest thing in all the universe. You will never know joy unless you realize God delights in joy all day, every day. You go, well, what about Isaiah. He was a man acquainted with sorrow. God's response to sorrow is like God's response in anger. It's a temporary response in a fallen world. There will come a time when God says, I will wipe every tear from your eyes." You know what I love about that? I wasn't intending to share this. You know what I love about that? Sophie. Oh, I'm going to get emotional. So, Sophie. Sophie cries a lot. Like her daddy, apparently. (laughs) Stupid. Just little things, you know. She was going through some things, some of you know, physically. And we were all on edge. The reason why I love that imagery in Revelation was this God. will wipe every tear from your eyes is because think of how close they need to be to be able to reach out and to wipe your eyes. So when God says, there will come a time when I will wipe every tear, think, think of the imagery of how close and intimate you need to be to be able to physically reach out to somebody's face. And God says, this is what awaits you, and that's what awaits me. Joy. If you become more like Jesus, you will radiate more joy. Peace, confidence, and trust, uh, confidence in resting God's with him rather than your patience. Ability to suffer trouble without blowing up or giving up. Kindness, compassion that offers true friendship, not just help. Goodness, honesty, transparency, being the same in all situations. Faithfulness, loyalty and courage to be principally utterly driven, reliable, true to one's word. Gentleness is humility, blessed self-forgetfulness and self-control to master our emotions and desire rather than allowing them to master us. And what we've been saying is that this is where God wants to take us, and we'll eventually get there. But it's been so important for us to spend the last two, three weeks laying a foundation for how we get there, because if you do not understand how we get there, you're going to go at it in a religious way. You're going to get burnt out. You're going to get tired. You're going to get self-righteous. You're going to get arrogant. You're going to get proud. And so here's what the Scripture has said to us about how this transformation happens. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2 foundation again you grow up in your salvation because his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires and the bible says he character attributes you need to grow up into the meaning they're not out there foreign to you you're sitting there going love out there not in here joy out there patience out there god says grow up and the powerful truth that we've been meditating on and sitting on is this these character attributes that god says that you are going to be part of this is who you're becoming god says it's not some foreign objects out there that you have to import he says they are within you not in potential but in real seed form the amazing thing that the Bible says is these character attributes that God wants you to become and plans for you to become, everything, the astonishing things that the Bible says should be true of us, in a sense is already true of us. Does it, does, I mean, does it hit you? That all these things are not some, I could never be, God says, it's not, hey, you could never be that. He's like, when are you going to grow up and be the real you? When are you going to grow up into these things and be real you? They're not foreign objects out there. They are within you, within me, waiting to burst and mature and grow. So the question we've been asking is how? How? How does this happen? How does this happen? And last week, I need to do a quick review. We talked about a foundational thing that I know for some of us is like, woohoo, that's how we go about it. I've never heard that, or I've heard that before, but that just, Peter, right now at this point, thinking about that, I don't, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 is the passage we sat on. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says, but I, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. To which God's people said, Amen. Thank God for that. He lives in me, empowering me. Okay? Filling me, encouraging me, strengthening me to do this. So the life that I live right now, life of love, life of peace, life of patience, kindness, goodness. The life that I live right now, I live by, what does he say? Say it with me. Say it. I live by faith. Say it again. I live by faith. Now listen. We do not grow into these characteristics by putting a post in it on a refrigerator. Remember to be more patient today. We do not grow into these characteristics by saying, count to three when you get mad. One, two. The Bible says we grow into these characteristics. Say it one more time by faith. And this is an astonishing, foundational thing that impacts all of the Christian life. You and I do not get saved by faith and then grow by works and effort. We get saved by faith and we grow into Christ likeness by, say it with me, faith. God never intended the Christian life to be, thank you for saving me by faith. Now give me the Bible, let me add it. God says, just as you enter this thing by faith, not, I need a second chance. Let me rededicate myself. Let me go to reach. God says, you entered it by faith. You live it every single day by faith. Illustration. There are four slides I want to go up. Are they up there, Nate? First slide. How do you bridge this gap? We all said this last week. We cannot bridge this gap from me to God by work, by effort, by be doing good things, obedience, ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 says for say this let's say this together guys let's say this ready for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves it is the gift of god not by works so in the next slide how do you get across me by grace through faith next slide please once God does that, the Bible says you become a new creation, but there's still the old you. And this process is called sanctification of becoming more like Christ. And at that, it's at this point that we go terribly wrong. Because at this point, all of a sudden, we abandon the first part of, I get saved by grace through faith. And we go, now it becomes by my self effort, by trying really hard. And that's some of you have hit a <laughs> spiritual ceiling. And you're going, I'm tired. I don't do this anymore. So we try harder, we pretend, we lower the bar, or we just fake it. And what does Paul say? This is so huge. You, you, you. Paul says, the way that you grow in the Christian life is by faith. Next slide, please. Same thing, guys. Same thing. The way that we grow, sanctification, become more like Jesus. These the attributes that God plans for us is by grace through faith. And I said this last week, self-improvement is no more God's plan than self-salvation. God's plan for you was never to be saved by faith and then somehow live by works. You get saved by faith and you live by faith. The grace and power of God that justified us continues to be at work to sanctify us. You need God's grace all day, every day to become more like Jesus. Does this, does this hit you right between the eyes? For some of us, it's great news because we're like, so you mean my old way of trying like really, really hard? is not, no, no, Mm-mm. that do not work. Can we just be honest that it doesn't work? Does, it, does that mean you agree? <laughs> there you say it again. It doesn't work work you know i know but here's the question right the question is faith in who faith in what right faith in who peter faith is some of this ethereal thing faith i have faith what faith in? but the bible is very clear galatians 2 20 here's what it says faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me Faith in who? Faith in what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how. Open your Bibles to John 5. I rushed through this last week, and we're going to park here a little bit, but I promise, everybody look up here, I promise, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys practical sort of how of this faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, how that faith in that enables us to grow. And the fruits of the Spirit. I'll begin doing that today. Okay, so here we go. John fifteen four. Jesus says, "Abide in me, and I." In you and I said last week, the abide is the Greek word meno, which make, which means make your home in, settle down, come on, come on in, make yourself comfortable. Okay, you're gonna be here a while. Make your home in, abide. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And the great news about God's word is that you and I were never meant to be a producer of these fruit. You and I were meant to be what a Bear, bearer, bearer, bear, is it B E A R E R E R or just bear, one E R? Michael, okay. You guys know what I mean? you are meant to be a you are meant to be a producer you're meant to be a bearer you're not expected to produce patience, self-control and love in your life you're not expected to produce joy in the midst of difficult circumstances by trying really hard you were never meant to produce any of these things in the way of character God says the way it happens is as you abide in me and we'll talk about that what that means you bear it is this good news? That means someone way stronger, way wiser, way more competent, way more patient than you is at work to produce these in you. Here, I never meant to... Pr- and I gave a, a very disturbing imagery last week, and I'm not going to go there. Okay, I'll do it. This is what it looks like for some of us, right? This is what it looks like. It's like, imagine a, imagine a branch separated from a vine. Resist the urge. I can't, Michael. It's like some of us. Some of us really, honestly think that this branch, to separate from the vine, if it tried really, really hard, all of a sudden, boop, apple, boop, whatever fruit will come. How ridiculous is it that a branch that's completely torn apart from a vine, from the life source, can do that? And that's what we do. We try really, really hard. Bing. We, that's what we think. We're like, if I just try really. It's like spiritual constipation. <laughs> like push a little harder. And, and the Bible says it's not possible for you. You're not expected to bear or produce fruit. You're simply expected to bear. You just a, look, you're just a vehicle. Imagine, you're just a vehicle as you abide in the vine, through which his character is expressed. Now, which would you rather do? Abide? Oh, there it goes. Woo! Look at that. <laughs> Whoa, look at that. Or would you go. Philippians 2, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It is who's at work, God who's at work. Radical change is possible, not because you're good, but he's good. Radical change is possible, not because you're strong, but he is strong. Radical change is possible, not because you're a producer, but because you're just a bearer. Our part is to plug in to the new life that indwells us and draw upon His supernatural power. This is such good news. Verse 5. So I am divine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Guys, guys, guys. If you're sitting there going, those character attributes, they're not that important. God says... It is absolutely critical for anyone who claims to follow Jesus that these character attributes are a vital part of who you are. Balance here. Fruit starts out small, and it takes time. But eventually, every person who is connected to Jesus, follower of Jesus, and has a supernatural life of Christ flowing in and through them, the Bible says you will display these character attributes. It's not an option for some, for all of us, the Bible says. If the Spirit of God is living in me, we ought to look different. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciple. Listen, guys, oh, this is so, listen. The Bible says, it bluntly, the primary way in which people that don't know Jesus will come to know Jesus is through what? Seeing the fruit of character in your life. He says, this is how people will come to know you are my disciples. That in some ways, your life just won't make any sense. Because, see, if you're somebody who displays and lives out joy in the midst of suffering, your life... It ain't going to make sense. Like, come on, come on, come on. If you love your enemies, because anybody can love their families, but if you love your enemies, your life, say it with me, is not going to make sense. Uh, a little close home. If you're single, and you're actually content, not like fake content, you know, not like fake content, like, all I need is Jesus. <laughs> come on. Like don't but if you're really content, your single friends and be like, your life won't make any sense. Hmm. God says, people watch your character, your fruit, and go, Jesus, disciple. Verse nine. As the Father has loved me, <laughs> so have I loved you. I don't know what to do with that verse. You know why? Because it's just too big for me to handle. Anybody else? Think about this. Jesus says, the way he loves me, that's how I love you. And I can't fathom it. I can't. I can't. I can't fathom that... That God who loves Jesus with an everlasting, complete, total, unconditional love looks at you and me and says, like that, that's how I love you. And here's the powerful truth and why it's so hard for us. Here's what abiding is. Jesus says what? As a father has loved me, so I've loved you. He says, abide in my love. Jesus is saying, make your home in that. That right there is the key, the secret, the foundation to everything in the Christian life. Jesus says, abiding in that. And abiding is not another thing to do. Some of us, we then go, abiding, read the Bible, quiet time. Jesus says, abide in my love. That is, abiding is not another thing you are to do for God, but it is resting in his thoughts about you. Can I say that again, Michael? Abiding is not another thing I need to do to earn his acceptance and approval. Abiding is resting, ha, ah, resting, ha, ah, in his thoughts about you. It's not rolling upstream so what can learn God's approval. It is falling. At the bottom of the Niagara Falls and enabling the love of God and the torrent of that to flow over you again and again and again and again and again, and again. resting, abiding in his love, his arms stretched out underneath an everlasting, never-ending stream of the love of God and saying, oh. Abide in my love. Rest, child of God. Rest in this powerful counterintuitive truth that there's nothing that you can do, nothing that you can do to be righteous before God. So in Christ, in Christ, in his death and resurrection, God gives this righteousness to you as a gift. Undeserving, unworthy, and yet he gives it to you and me as a gift. Grace. Grace. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Grace, God's righteousness at Christ's expense. And the Bible says, listen, please, the Bible says and it's when you receive that, it's when you abide in that, it's when you rest in that, that the life of the vine and the life of Christ begins to flow in and through you and you begin to change, not because you are told to change, but because you want to change. And you don't just change in your behavior, but your desires begin to change. You don't just do the right things. you begin to want to do the right things. They make sense, they become clear. That's why, First John 4:19, "He, we love him. Say it with me, because he first loved." Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want these attributes to be more like you? Jesus says it is abide, abide, rest, abide. Faith in what God has done is what releases the life of God in us. You know what the secret is? (laughs) Can I get an amen if you agree with this? Do you actually realize we actually do more for God when we're told less about what we need to do and more about what God has done for us? As if some of you grew up in church where you heard, do ye, do ye, do ye, and you walk out going, I want to. And you sit there and go, when was the last time somebody lift up the beauty, the majesty, and the wonder of the gospel and the beauty of Jesus and just let me just soak at that? Faith in what God has done. Can I apply this? Anybody struggling with uh, some sin that you just... Anybody struggle with lying? Anybody struggle with being dishonest? Anybody struggle with some... Here's what we do. The way we try and change is go... We use fear. If I do this, God will not like me. God will not please. I might get punished. Or pride. I'm better than this. I should be better than this. This is against my Christian principles for crying out loud. Or, 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 or desire for something else. Well, God won't bless me. But I really need that. And if I, that's how we try and change. Question, does that work? Does that motivation work? Heck no, it doesn't work. Fear, pride, blessing, for, doesn't work. So how do you change abiding in his love for you. Here's what it means. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is that motive? Why is is abiding in that? Give us power to change. Because here's the thing. If you approach God from the perspective of God, if I go to you honestly with this, what will you think of me? As long as that insecurity is there, you will never, ever be totally honest with God. Or will you have the courage to go to God? There's always going to be this sense of, oh God, I don't know, if I go, as long as you are insecure about who you are in him and what he thinks about you, you will never have the courage nor the humility to go before God. You know what else? You'll never go to other people with it. How in the world can you share what you're struggling with other people if you go, what will they think of me? And what they think of me will crush me to the core. And here's the thing. Do you know what the power of sin is? It lies in its secrecy. As long as nobody knows about what you're struggling with, you are helpless and powerless. He who is alone with his sins is utterly alone. Some of you will never, ever overcome that addiction or that sin because you have told nobody. What does abiding in his love do? When you're deeply secure and drenched in his love, you know what happens? You go, Sven, I love you, but I don't care what you think. Here's what I'm struggling with. And the power of that grip is released because now somebody else knows. How many of you are scared to death of going to somebody with some sin because you're deeply insecure? Do you know what will break that? It's not going to be, try really, really hard. Post it. Tell somebody today. Or abide. I love you. Abide. You're secure. Abide. No matter what you do or don't do, my love for you don't change. Abide. Okay. Okay. Okay, God, I can. I can. Anybody showing sexual temptation? No? (laughs) Somebody needs to pray for Sven because he's a liar. (laughs) Okay? We need to cast the demon of lying out of him, Pastor Michael. Do you know how you overcome sexual temptation? Come on, I know who my congregation is. If you use fear. What will God think of me? What will people think of me? Or pride. I'm better than this. Come on, you're so pathetic, Peter. Or fear of blessing. You'll never overcome it. Joseph in Genesis 39, Potiphar's wife, I want you. Joseph goes, I don't think so, girl. My (laughs) translation roughly, I don't think so, girl. Why not? Joseph says, how could I do such a thing and sin against God? He doesn't say, how could I do such a thing? I'm a godly man. How could I do such a thing? After all, I'm better than this. How could I do such a thing? After all, God will punish. You know what he says? He says, how can I do something sin against God? You know what he's doing? He's not using willpower to overcome sexual temptation. He is using heart power. What is he doing? He's saying, I will never overcome that sexual temptation unless there is something even more beautiful, more powerful, more glorious than that sexual temptation that my heart will be captured by. You cannot overcome sexual temptation by willpower. You have to find something even more desirable to say. I have that. Why would I want that? Pastor Angel, are you feeling me? I have that. Why would I want that? Honestly, guys, if you're struggling with some addiction, with accountability, all that, you will ne- Some of you are like, willpower. <laughs> Today, I will do it. The next, <laughs> next day, you're like, I'm so pathetic. You cannot overcome that. Listen, listen, listen. By willpower, you have to find something that will make you grow. That is so much more glorious. And it's pulled my heart. Why would I want that? Do you see how abiding in Christ helps you grow? Abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. Verse 10. Well, let's keep going. Let's keep going, okay? I want to finish this. I want to pray, actually, for you guys today. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my commandments and abide in his love. Which, you know how some of us read it? We read it like this. If you keep my commandments, then I will love you. Is that what he's saying? No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying keeping the commandments is sort of conditional and, you know, God loving you. What it does say is, is that, one of the ways that we abide in his love is by keep, keeping his commandments. One of the ways that we abide in his love, it's not a requirement for God's acceptance and his approval, but one of the ways that we abide in that unconditional love is by keeping his commandments. In verse 7, Jesus talks about reading the word and praying. Some of you actually think that if you read the Bible that God will love you more. Some of you actually think that just because you pray or pray more that God will love you more. There is nothing that you could add to or subtract from what God has already done in Christ. Nothing. God's perspective of you doesn't change one iota because you read or don't read the Bible or pray, don't pray. God says you, as you abide in my love, as you're reminded, so as you read the, why do you read the Bible? So you can, so God could give you an A on the exam. It would help to study. Okay, God, give me an A on the exam. I'm cramming. Why do you read the Bible? So that your marriage will be better. Why do you read the Bible? So that God wouldn't strike him. You know, why read the Bible? We don't read the Bible for any of those reasons that are religious. We read the Bible because as we read the Bible, listen, we are reminded of the truth of God's love. As we read the Bible, it enables us to abide in the truth of his love for us and life change. Why do you pray? Enables me to abide in the fact that there's intimacy with the God. Why do you fast? It reminds me that he alone is what I need for my hunger. Why do you worship? Why do we do anything of the spiritual disciplines? It's not to please God. Jesus obeyed God perfectly in our behalf. There's nothing we can do. We do these things so that God... Example. Do you remember Jesus being tempted? Check this out. So Jesus, before he is to be launched into ministry, he's being baptized by John. And here's what Jesus is here. Jesus says... This is my son in whom I am. What? Well, pleased. And then what happens? Satan comes and says, turn the stone into bread. Bow down to me, I'll give you the world. Do you know why some of you are messed up today? And why I messed up today? Because Satan has come to you and go, you need that guy's approval. You need to go into that school. You need to be a better mother or better father. You need, and here's what you're saying. You're saying, I need that to be okay. I must have that to be whole. And Satan has wrapped you right around his filthy, dirty little finger. What is Jesus saying? He abides in God's word to overcome temptation. How? Satan says, Turn to the stone into bread. And Jesus says, I don't need that to be pleasing to my Father. I'm already pleasing to Him. Are you tracking? Bow down to me, I'll give you the world. I don't need that Satan to be pleasing to my father. The reason why you are messed up today is because we are saying about something, I need that to be pleasing to the father. And the only way to overcome that is to abide in his word that says, well done, I am pleased with you. If you're messed up today, emotionally, mentally, You are listening to Satan say to you, you must have this. You need this to be acceptable. And the only way to overcome it is Satan. I am already totally and completely accepted in Jesus. Bing. Are you with me? Do you see how abiding, abiding in Christ, abiding in his love for you is the key to everything that we do to live the Christian life. Jesus understood, and I love the song that we sang today. Jesus understood that as we are tempted by saying, you need that to be satisfied, you need that to be satisfied, you need that to be satisfied. Jesus understood that the only thing that would satisfy his heart would be the love of his father. And it is abiding in that love that Jesus was able to look at his troubles, his temptations, and his struggles to say, that is not what makes me pleasing to the Father. It is his love that makes me pleasing to the Father. When you don't get that job, If your identity is shaken, it's because you're saying, that is what defines me. You need to listen and abide in the love and voice of the Father that says, I am well pleased. I'm hurt because that girl didn't notice me. That guy didn't notice me. Why? Your entire identity, your looks, how somebody thinks about you. What will overcome it? Abide. When you don't get into that school or program, I'm shattered by it. Why? Your entire significance, identity, acceptance is fixed on that job, that school, that program, that guy or that girl. And Satan's got you wrapped around his finger. And Jesus says, only I could overcome it, abiding in my Father. You need to hear the voice of God. And you say, this is what makes me pleasing. Not that. This is what will satisfy my heart. The love of my father, not that. Verse 11, I gotta keep going. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Anybody struggling with joy? Anybody joy deficient like me? I'm joy deficient. Can can you tell? Yeah. You know, Nathan... Yeah, I like, I'm, I don't mind little honesty, but I don't mind, I don't like brutal honesty, you know what I mean? No, in all seriousness, guys, I'm not, I'm not a very joy person, you know? Somebody, somebody told me long ago, they're like, Peter, you're going to be like Jeremiah, like the lonely prophet. You're going to call people to be better and da, da, da but you're not going to be able to sell You're going to be, you know, stuck in a pit by yourself going, woe is me. I especially struggle with joy when I go through a hard time. Anybody? So how do you experience joy? How do you experience joy? Jesus tells us right here. How do you experience, how do you experience joy that's full? By abiding in Christ, by abiding in His love. Because when you do that, here's what you see. When you abide in Christ and abide in His love for you, here's what you begin to see. When you abide in Christ, abide in His love for you, here's why you experience joy. Listen. You realize, you realize that God hates evil, suffering, disease, death, injustice in this world. You realize that God hates it. God didn't create a world with these things. God created a perfect world in which there would be harmony and shalom. But because of our sin, all of these things entered into the world. And God sends his son. Why? Why would he send his son if he doesn't care? Why would God send his son to do this if he doesn't care? God sends his son because he cares so much about ridding this world of injustice, suffering, and disease, and death. So much that he sends his son to die on the cross. Now listen. When he's dying on the cross so that this world can be rid of suffering, disease, and death, do you think the people around them said, Wow, well, look at that. There goes the wisest act in all of the world. Look at that. There goes the smartest, most glorious thing that's ever going to happen. No, all the people said, That doesn't make any sense. And yet, because of this, out of death comes what? Life. Out of suffering comes what? Glory. Out of sorrow comes what? Someday, no more weeping, ever. Are you with me? So that when you and I go through suffering and it robs us of our joy, here's why joy is robbed out of us. Our joy is robbed out of suffering because you and I doubt God's love. We go, you cannot possibly love me because if you love me, I wouldn't go through this. What does this remind you? What does this say when you abide in Christ? You realize that you cannot doubt God's love for you because the reason why he sent his son is because he loves you. Otherwise, he would not have sent his son. He sends his son because of your suffering. So when you're going through suffering, you go, God, I don't know why this is happening, but one thing I do know for sure, you love me. And that I will never, ever doubt. How can I look at the cross and doubt your love for me? Secondly, when you abide in yourself, you know what else you realize? You realize, God, this doesn't make any sense. This is foolishness to the world. But God says, I know, but out of that comes life. Out of that comes glory. Out of that somehow comes redemption. And you and I sit there and go, God, someday because of this, there will be glory, life, and redemption. And your heart could say, okay, 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 it's going to be all right. You're not going anywhere. Growing in the Christian life, the way spiritual change happens is abiding in His love for you. It's not trying harder, guys. If you're trying harder, you're going to be self righteous. Can I get an amen? If you try, look in the Gospels. The people that always got themselves the most trouble with Jesus were the people who were trying the hardest at their spiritual lives. Why? Because they were trying so hard at their spiritual lives that they couldn't help but think about how hard they were trying, and they became fixated on their heroic efforts and they couldn't love. If you're trying really, really hard, I don't care who you are, you will be self-righteous and you'll have other people going, why aren't you trying as hard? What's your problem? Trying hard. And secondly, if you try really hard because you think that the sum total of spiritual maturity is obeying rules in the Bible, spiritual growth for you will always be an obligation and not a desire. I have to. I have to. I have to, and you'll never get to the point of going, I get to. I get to love him. Oh, yeah. I get to worship him. Oh, yeah. Gospel, abiding in his love. Abiding in his love. Do you realize there's an enormous difference between following rules and following Jesus? Because you could follow rules without cultivating the right heart. Pharisees, self-righteousness. Can we all agree nobody likes self-righteous people? Can I get an amen? Amen. Nobody. None of us. None of us. So let's not be one of those. It's not a list of things I do for God that changes me. It's when I stand in awe of what God has done for me that I will be changed. Let me say that again. It is when I stand in awe of what God has done for me. It is when I stand in awe of what God has done for me that I begin to change. It is when abiding in Christ and faith in what he has done becomes real. It begins to change me. Sin at its core is a worship problem. Sin at its core is a worship problem. Sin at its core is because you desire something else. You want something else. You 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 put your hope and desires in something else besides God. And listen, if you worshipped your way into sin, guess what? you got to worship your way out. You will never change just by changing behavior. you got to change your desire. Your want has to change. And the only thing that does that is the gospel, not religion. Religion will change your behavior, but it doesn't have the power to change your heart. Can I just tell you something? Here's how you know your spirit is growing. You begin, you begin repenting, not just for the bad things you've done, but good things you've done hello, yeah, what do I mean? Why do you do what you do? So here's how spiritual growth happens. God, I called that friend and I cared for him or her. And then all of a sudden you go, why did I do that? Because I wanted to feel better about myself. Because I wanted to be accepted. Because I wanted to feel needed. Self-absorbed, selfish motivation. God, I'm sorry for the good thing that I did. That's how spiritual maturity happens. Spiritual mature people, all the bad things, the sins, ah, forgive me. Spiritual mature people go, all the right things I've done, why did I do them? Wasn't that the Pharisees? They obeyed all the law. And God says, but your heart is like whitewashed tombs. When you begin to ask God for forgiveness for the good things you've done and the motivation behind them, God begins to change your heart. Okay, can I apply this for love? Love? Anybody? Love? Is love important? All I need is love. All I need is love. Why do we sing that? Why do we sing that? You know why? Because every single one of us have a desire to love and to be loved. Anybody? Anybody? It's kind of humiliating to say it, right? It's like walking into a 12-step program. Hi, I'm Peter. I'm a loveaholic. Nathan, what's your name? Oh, it's Nathan. I'm sorry. Every single one of us in this room By the way, if there's somebody here going, I don't need love, I don't need... I'll get to you in a moment. But some of us that go, I don't need love, we're actually even in a more desperate situation than the person who says, I need love. Do you know why? To love is fundamentally what it means to be human. To love somebody is fundamentally what it means to be human. Fundamentally, love is essential to life. Every generation has written about love, right? Every generation, from Pride and Prejudice, anybody? The Jane Austen novel, anybody? To Pride and Prejudice, the British miniseries, anybody? Pride and Prejudice, the movie, and to Bridget Jones' Diary. You know what that is? That's for those of you that like Pride and Prejudice but don't know that you do. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was like for 10 people in here, but whatever. Every single one of us, were driven by love, obsessed with love, need to love. But here's the reason why we don't grow in love, okay? I'm going to hit them, and then we're gonna, done. We're done. Here's the reason why we don't love and grow in love and the spirit fruit. First of all, some of us, we're just proud. We're proud. We're arrogant. What do I mean? You will never genuinely love as Christ would love us and Christ has us to love others if the fundamental posture of your heart is, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Do you know why some of us can't forgive somebody? Because fundamentally, we're saying what? I'm better than you. The reason why you're having a hard time loving somebody today is one reason, is pride, arrogance that says, I'm better than you. Another reason why we have a difficult time loving is because we're afraid. Anybody? We're afraid. Some of you know what it means to love and be absolutely and utterly hurt. Love is risky. Love is dangerous. Fundamentally, we know we need to love and be loved, but we've been hurt in the past, and we go, uh oh, I will never, ever do that again. So I'm going to hold myself off. Here's the other fear. What if they don't love me back? What if I love her or him and they don't love me back? And the fear of not being loved back paralyzes us and we go, oh no, I will never go out there. But here's the thing, guys, listen up here. If you don't listen to anything about this part, listen to this. In order for you to be fully loved, you have to be fully known. If you want to be fully loved, which is what our soul yearns for, and will not settle for anything less, You have to be fully known with warts and all. But how the heck do you have the courage to put yourself out there and to be fully known if inside you go, what if when you get to know me, you don't want me? So here's what happens. When you withhold love, it breaks your, when you you, you fail, when you fail and to receive love, it breaks your heart. But when you withhold love, it hardens your heart and you become incapable of loving and being loved. How the heck in our culture then do you overcome the fear, fear of rejection, fear of being fully known and actually risk loving somebody? Abiding in His love for you. Do you know what the gospel says? I know everything about you. And what? And I love you anyway. The gospel says, I love everything. I know everything about you. Worse and all, God, worse and all, you are fully known. And yet God comes in, love. that's thing to say. And yet you are fully loved. If you are sitting here today and you're going, I can't risk another hurt. I can't risk loving somebody. I can't risk putting myself out there ever again. The only thing that will happen is one of two choices. Either your heart will harden and you'll become incapable of loving and loved. Or you will abide in his love. And the fear of, what if they know me, they won't love me, is dealt with at the cross. And you say, it's going to be hard, but I'm going to put myself out there. For some of us, we can't love, grow in love, because we're needy. Some of you will never be in a relationship. Do you know why? How the heck do you re- expect a relationship to last if you're looking at the relationship going? You are my identity. You are my sense of worth. You are my acceptance. You are my idol. You don't say it that way, right? Hopefully you don't. I will bow before you. Hopefully you don't do that. But but listen, listen. How the heck? How how do you stay in a relationship if spoken or unspoken? If fundamentally you're looking at that relationship, that guy has, you are my all in all. You are my worth. No human being can bear that weight. None. So you go from relationship to another, you get pushed, you want, why do you do that? Because you are looking at that relationship and saying, this is my significance, this is my all in all, and no human being can bear that weight. Every relationship has, has that sign on the bridges, no more than two tons. Why? Because <laughs> if there's more than two tons, the bridge will collapse. Some of you. You are looking at that relationship and saying, you will wear the bait of my bait. You will wear, you will bear. (laughs) You will bear the weight of my soul's deepest desire. Let me ask you, what human being would ever meet that? This is why your marriage is in trouble. This is why you can't stay in a long-term relationship. This is why some of you say, I, because every time you get in a relationship, you go, You will bear the weight of my soul's deepest yearning, deepest desire. And no idol, no God will ever be able to, besides the one true God. Some of you, you can't, last one, you can't love and grow in love because you actually need people to need you. So you're tricky, because on the outside, people go, Oh, he's so loving. Ah, oh, she's so loving. They're so giving. Look at that. They don't have to grow in love. Look at that. And you know, the secret is, the truth is, uh, you do what you do because that's how you get your own. Need. In other words, you need the love of other people in order to be okay. You need their needing of you. And at the end of the day, you don't love them. You're using them. For you. That's why when you get in a relationship and all of a sudden they go, I don't find you that interesting anymore. Why? All of a sudden, <laughs> that person was really weak and they really needed you, and all of a sudden they get strong. And you go, Well, I'm not interested in you anymore. Why? Because I liked you better when you were weak and you needed me. Oh, well, I'm not interested in you anymore. Why? Because you used to adore me, think I was a great thing, sliced bread. You listened to everything I had to say. Now all of a sudden you go, mm, you're right. Okay. If you think I'm just okay, this ain't gonna work. <laughs> Are you somebody that could never grow in this because you, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. It is the worst form of self-absorption. Needing people to need you. Two characters should actually be someone who can grow. One, on the outside. You're constantly with people, constantly. Busy, 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 constantly, busy, busy. Everybody's like, oh, she's so caring. Oh, she's so loving. Oh, she. Why are you doing that? I need people to need me or I, I don't feel okay some of you you're very cavalier about relationships friendships come and go friendships come and go friendships come and go and you don't persevere what will heal you daddy is come on up we're done what will heal you it's abiding in his love for you It's abiding in his love for you. Why? Because when you abide in Christ's love and the gospel goes deeper and deeper into your soul, you realize that in the gospel, essentially, you have a man who unconditionally sacrifices himself, not out of need for us, but out of love for us. Do you know what the gospel says? The gospel says, I love you. Why? Because I love you. And we can't believe it. No, 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 no. Why do you love me? What do I do? Jesus says, I love you because I love you. And to prove that I love you because I love you, I'm going to go to the cross, not because I need something from you, but simply because I love you. And unless you have the emotional wealth that the gospel brings to the depths of your soul, that your neediness to need people to need you will ever be dealt with. And you'll continue to use people in the name of I love you. And it's destructive to your soul and to that relationship. If you are growing in the love of God, you will begin to love people for who they are, not what you want. Listen, listen. Daddy, I'm sorry. I I need them to hear this. If you're growing in love, Listen, please, please, just a serious moment. If you're growing in love, you will love people for who they are, not what you want them to be. If you grow in love, you will love people for who they are and not what they do for you and not what they contribute for you. If you grow in love, you will sacrifice and commit to people, not out of some need to convince yourself or others that you're acceptable. When you grow in love, you will love that person enough to commit and yet stay with them for the long haul, even when it doesn't benefit you. I want to leave you with this quote. Faith that does not lead to love is meaningless But love that is not based on faith is powerless. Any love that has the power to transform you and me and to love people as Christ has, it doesn't come from self-effort. Work, I try harder. The only thing that springs this love in us is faith in his abiding love faith in knowing that I am unconditionally loved and accepted and I can rest.